Yeah, when you mentioned that I do some kind of do 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 when I'm when yeah. I'm doing stuff, uh, now the only thing that's stuck in my head is the stupid McDonald's do 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 do. <laughs> but I I think I know the thing that you're talking about because strangely, I can hear my dad doing it in my head. So I'm that's like, uh oh, <laughs> oh boy. how did I inherit that without even knowing? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's how it works, isn't it? Someone was posting on Facebook, I think, like two months ago, that when she's uh, alone and doing stuff, she finds herself singing or humming a particular song. I, it was a theme song to some show. And I realized that one of my favorite is when Bender is climbing through the air ducts in um, Breakfast Club. He, there's the song behind him. And he's saying whatever speech he's giving and he's talking to himself. She's like, that is my, apparently when I'm alone, I need that. I need that tune. I will Breakfast that. Club is one of those ones I think we talked about that, that happened for me a little later in life. Yeah. And I think I've only seen it once. So I don't remember that, but I totally have songs like that too from, uh, from different sections. The uh, Back to the Future theme is one that I often, that often gets stuck in my head. Indiana Jones gets stuck in my head a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I actually listen to a lot. Speaking of enlightened couch potato stuff, yeah. I actually listen to soundtrack music a lot. I don't know if we've talked about this. Um, this is something I started doing on my own a long time ago. And then I, I found out Jason Silva does the same thing. He's a um, consciousness guy, personal development y kind of, sort of. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he, yeah, there's something really epic about it it's it's almost like because it's designed to be listened to while something else is going on mm -hmm. it becomes the soundtrack to whatever it is you're doing and i often listen to like epic is the key word yes. epic soundtracks so like going to the bathroom with hans zimmer playing in your ears <laughs> is so much fun. <laughs> yeah, so I can imagine anything that you're doing in, in life if it's like an action film. Yeah. Like, somebody put out the um, the Avengers theme as people are like coming out of a pool. Actually, they yeah. reverse, but they like do, they do the reverse of the pose. Yeah. And I was like, as you were saying that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to now experience pooping epically because yeah. I want like the yeah. soundtrack of my life to be my I'm, more. I'm telling you, it's worth like, it. This is me washing my boobs. Yep. This is me trying to reach my foot. Da -da -da. And it's like, boom, dun, 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 dun. Oh, Terminator 2. That's another one. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> that, the fucking, you know, there's an anvil sound in there. I love it. Like the clanking metal in oh the gosh. soundtrack. No. Oh, I love that theme. Oh, Terminator awesome. 2 theme is incredible. Oh. It makes me want to go back because I know that the over-the-top theme is really good, but I don't remember it right now. Oh, that's the the arm wrestling movie, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet that one's great. Yeah. This, uh. I don't know when they will arrive, but I have may, maybe five. Yes, I think I have five T-shirts from TV shows that are on the way. I own, Ooh. what, three? I own four currently. You're buying wardrobe for the podcast? <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah. I'm not like showing them, for, I show them sometimes, but I am so excited uh, that they are on the way. I, I got to geeking out. And what I love are things that are not obvious. Is this a teaser? Like you're not gonna tell us what they are, you're gonna wait Maybe and not. make us see them? <laughs> 
Uh, not so teasing. It does remind me that we made the agreement that somehow we would watch Cobra Kai together. That's right. And I heard um, it got picked up by Netflix for, next, for the next season. <laughs> and, and Netflix is apparently being really good about, like, we don't want to change anything. We want to give you complete creative control. The only thing that might happen is now you have more money. Oh um, my. And they're bringing all the team over and like the creative uh, team is very happy about the move. So that's awesome. I've heard great things. So amazing. Okay. So we haven't said hello. We oh, right. That. Okay. Ready? Do you want to make this the beginning of the podcast? <laughs> do you want to doopy doop? You got to point it out when I'm doing it so that I know what you're talking about. Well, I'm dooping. You can doop your own thing or you can talk over my dooping. I'm going to do. Okay. Hello and welcome to the Enlightened Couch Potato Show. I'm Nicholas Rabe, the, the person duping. <laughs> I'm Adrian Gunn. I'm out of air. So and here in this podcast, we explore how to watch movies and TV for maximum psychological and spiritual development. Or how to TV deeply. Our <laughs> philosophy is that movies can be a meditation, TV can be transcendent, and that it's a thing that a lot of people feel really guilty about, but you can actually let go of that guilt and fully enjoy and be present to the time that you're already going to spend watching movies and TV. All you have to do is open your mind to the idea that it could be a transformative and valuable experience instead of some guilty pleasure you have to feel ashamed about. Absolutely. I actually had a lot of not dropping into the experience in my last week since we really did our show yeah boy is that so it's frustrating to like so i was in life i was feeling some tension and frustration mm. i'm like here's my tv time i'm gonna tv and i'm on a sa salad i will say salad is not an easy food to eat uh, mm. i don't know if you've heard about this so salads the lettucey bits and mm -hmm. shout out to my friend who may still be joining us in here who brought me greens really thrilled to have greens and also to have i believe learn that if you put wet towels your greens last longer in the bag they don't go bad maybe that's why or just maybe friendship is what is needed for greens to stay it's probably that in a and mozart right play the music <laughs> Mozart in the fridge. Could be a movie title. Anyway, so I had some frustration in my life, and I was attempting to watch some shows. And then, oh, I like hard passed on a lot of things. Um, a friend ha had me agree to try to watch Fleabag mm. again because she really likes it. And when I expressed to a few people who were like, oh, my gosh, Fleabag, it's the best thing. Why I could not, I haven't made it through, gosh, the first time I tried several years ago to watch the first season, I think I paused at like minute 10 of the first episode, and then I paused again some more, and I didn't remember this, this, this last week when I tried to watch it where I had just bailed. Uh, it just asks so much of the viewer when right in the first moment you've got somebody breaking the fourth wall and then engaging with you. Like I'm like, I want to be like, I'm dropped in the mode and everybody's doing their lives and I'm letting it like live through me, but I'm not like ready to, to engage with a, like a, like the fake human on the TV. I'm like, wait, so it's pulling me in and out of state 
that I normally utilize for TV. Mm. And if I'm eating salad and I'm not looking up, I don't see the wink or the weird thing that's probably funny about the show. And it's just as frustrating as missing subtitles when I didn't know there were going to be subtitles because I'm eating and not reading and yeah. that sort of thing. So I got, apparently, I paused like three or four times in the first episode. I think these are 20, 30-minute episodes. Uh, I got to, to episode two and bailed at probably the same spot that I bailed last time because I was just too distracted and jolted in and out of it. I think I stopped in the middle of like a couple episodes of Batwoman. Wait, wait, wait. Before you move on from yeah. uh, we from Fleabag, Fleabag. Some more? have you watched it? I, I had the same experience. <laughs> and that makes me feel like that makes me feel like there's actually probably something there. Yeah. And that maybe the reason why everybody loves it might be the reason we hate it. Or <laughs> and, and and I wonder if that's I wonder if it's because the impression that I've gotten from every from people who I respect who are, yeah. are like they like the same things that I like and they're like this is the most genius thing yeah. that has come out in forever. Um I wonder if it's like really good at putting you into a particular emotional space that you and I have trouble with. And I wouldn't have thought of that. I would have just been like, it's not my cup of tea. But when you said you had the same exact experience, that's what made me go, okay, maybe, maybe there's actually something there worth wrestling through. I mean, I'm, I'm an eighties kid, right? So I don't, I don't mind a camera aside Ferris Bueller. It's the frequency of breaking the fourth wall and not allowing you to drop into a moment. Plus, on top of, we don't, we don't even know this person. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. And it's, I can get how it's funny. And I can get how shocking and wonderful. I love the crassness, kind of, of this character. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm told that the second season, they do less of the fourth wall breaking i've and it gets heard that the second season is when it is is like the first se- most people like the first season but they've also said the second season is better i don't know i guess i've just heard enough people who are like who who claim to have gotten to know that show and said yeah. it's worth getting to know right yeah I so I, I don't know i, I want to give it another shot um Here's but i think rough. cobra kai should come first Fair. Here's what's rough for me. It's one thing to go into a state and allow a character that I may not be in alignment with currently, like with some with some distance. You know, mm-hmm. they're interacting with other people. There's a there's a an array of humans having interactions that I can just drop into a more meditative state and allow it to happen and allow the the characteristics of someone that I may or may not like. Right. To reveal things in me. Yeah. It is an entirely different thing for a character that I may or may not like to start coming up and then fucking talking to me mm. in my living room. Right. So I, I'm, I'm sure that this character's arc is not dissimilar from a like 15 years ago version of me. I, I can recognize that there's, there's shit. So this, a, this thing's bringing up like, some personal stuff about asshole Adrienne. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, whew. I look, you know, I can get into a hot mess on screen. Totally fine with me. And I don't have a lot of those people 
in my life right now that I actually talk to yeah, on purpose. So when someone breaks the fourth wall, I'm like, Hey, it's like, it's like interactive theater. You gotta be fucking prepared for that. And you've got to drop into a different level of like, right. This is going to be the time where I on purpose hang out with people I broke up with a decade ago. Cool. All right. Yeah. You know, like how, how do I jump in to say yes to something like that? Yeah. I'm really curious now. I mean, it's quite possible that what is bothering us, even though we got uh, sort of turned off in at the similar point in the show. I wonder if what's bothering us could be completely different triggers. I don't know. Maybe it resonates with me in that way. Now I feel like I got to go back and watch it because I'm like, there's some resistance here that I think I need to go through. If it was like something, everybody was like, this is garbage. And if you watch it, you're going to think it's garbage. (laughs) I would not bother probably. But now I'm like, oh, well, okay. I don't know. Totally. Run to run toward that which scares you and intimidates you, and uh, it'd be fine. If, I don't know. It'd be fine if it was scary. Makes oh. you uncomfortable. Stretches you out of your. Makes me want to like. I'm probably yelling at the screen. <laughs> yeah, maybe and that's I, the catharsis you need to have. Apparently, maybe apparently this pro- week. I don't know. Yelling at all the characters on the screen. Uh, the other yelling and being irritated at the screen was. I know that. Superhero shows can be playful and quirky. I have a feeling that all of the Batman Gotham related shows really like their puns. <laughs> I know that fucking Flash goes into moments of like puns and like the B villain keeps doing the B things. It didn't happen in Arrow so much. And I really liked how dark Batwoman was. And then somewhere in the second half of their first season, and all of the characters are. I just watched two episodes, like, with like fingers scratching the chalkboard, full of puns. And I'm like, is this part of the the trope here in Batman Gotham world? Does everybody have to do puns about their villainy? I mean, it, it probably is a callback to a period of time in the in the comics because I do think that was a thing. Yeah, but I don't know if it translates well, and I don't know if it's timely like that's out of touch humor quite possibly i think so i'm not sure why they're just i i i well so i blamed myself i just blamed myself i'm like i recognizing that actually puns do well in uh uk still but not so much in the u.s the u.s has moved Mm. beyond puns and i also recognize that legends of tomorrow the characters when they'll say a pun Say it in a tone that means we know this is stupid. Right. We're doing it anyway, and we're poking fun at ourselves for having that jump out. There's a difference of, like, saying the pun or the clever turn of phrase or whatever when you know it's hokey as fuck. Yeah. And attempting to deliver it Then it's a dad joke. It's like, I know that I'm saying this. And it's not funny. But but it's funny because it's not funny. So did you see BoJack? Not yet. BoJack Horseman? Yeah. It's heavy. (laughs) Okay. Real heavy. Like, it's not an easy show to get through. There are, there are, it's shockingly like, ugh, at times. Um, But it is also, and it's much more hit and miss than some of the animated, some of the other animated stuff that I love. Like, Big Mouth, Big Mouth is like 100% brilliant. Yeah. 
and Bojack, if you average it out, mm. it's close to 50-50. But the brilliant stuff is there's one episode where the entire episode is Bojack giving a eulogy for his mom. It's a monologue for an entire what? episode. And it is mind-blowing. Like, wow. it's so moving and so poignant. Anyway, they have the most advanced pun game that I've ever seen. And there yeah. are there's times where they will go like five minutes of a conversation back and forth between two characters yeah. where every single line is a pun and they don't stop. And it's it it's one of these things that's like it's funny and then it's not funny and then it gets yeah. funny again and then right. it's not funny again and then it gets funny and then it gets funnier. Right. And then sometimes you're just like you guys are just showing off. Like it, the wordplay is. I, sometimes it's not even entertaining. It it feels like it jars you out of the story to a certain extent. Right. But it's also just like flexing these like linguistic muscles that right. are really impressive. Well, and that's that's kind of different. That's like taking what you expect and then exaggerating it, which is yeah. what comedy. Yeah, that, that's exactly how they play with it. Yeah, and it, but they don't have that. We know this isn't – I get they don't do the tone. Right, the way yeah. they do it is very serious. They're, like, very seriously saying the pun, but you can get that the comedy aspect of it is we're going to make you sit here for three minutes and listen to these stupid fucking puns. <laughs> and yeah. they think that's hilarious. Right. Um, that is also the, – the stretching the joke thing is also part of what's to love about Family Guy. Oh when yeah, I'm in the mood to love Family Guy. Yeah, like the the chicken gag, the repeated chicken gag when he fights with the chicken, or like one of my all time favorite Family Guy gags is when he's running home and he yeah. trips and then he's holding his leg and he just goes, ah! <laughs> and they keep it going. That's yeah. that was golden age. <laughs> um, speaking of Batman and animated, Ooh. can we? Tangent yeah. for one yeah. second. There is an argument that many fans of Batman make that the best thing, uh, at least television movie related Batman thing, mm -hmm. is Batman the Animated Series. Interesting. Which is a, a, a kids show. Like the 90s is when that came out? Yeah. It's a kids it. show, but it is not funny. It's dramatic. I mean, it has funny parts. That's where Mark Hamill as the Joker started. And um, it's got a beautiful artistic look. A very like gothic art deco style mm -hmm. and it's done in this sort of like you can't quite tell what year it is like it might be the 50s but some of the technology doesn't work for that it's a very cohesive and a lot of people have gone back and been like i watched this when i was a kid but if you go back like some of the storylines are more they have more gravitas even though it's this animated kids show yeah. than any of the movies have ever had uh, and does not have that kind of punny thing that like that the thing you're saying that you're like I'm not sure I like this about the Batwoman. Yeah. Thing. Well, and the uh, I don't think the movies have that. The movies have no. The movies are super serious, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. So I, yeah, I found myself just like like getting highly irritated and like this is not why I want to watch TV and yeah. just being very 
hesitant to pick something. Mm. Uh, because I'm like, oh, eh, I don't know. Am I in the am I in the wrong state for this? Yeah. Or is it gonna like re-trigger? Do you know. have a thing though that you actually? I did. did I do. I want to come back to it and and you you have like a you have one. I have a thing. thing. So this Ooh. last week has been kind of nuts for me too. I didn't watch a lot of TV. I did watch some, but the majority of it's stuff we've already talked about. Like yeah. we finished Futurama. Um, we have been watching The Simpsons. Just like comfort food. It's just yeah. something to put on. Yeah. And um, we're still going through Farscape slowly. Uh, Faye and I are still watching <clears throat> um, Penny Dreadful and Tales from the Loop. Um, we're, we're in the middle of too much shit right now, which is why <laughs> I can't add new things. But <laughs> we also, I didn't watch any movies, um, but we also started watching a movie and then didn't finish it, but I can talk about it because I've seen it several times. Okay. Uh, and I felt like this was one that I could definitely share some uh, pontification about. Have you ever seen The Abyss? Oh, yeah. Can we talk about The Abyss? <sighs> yeah. Mary, Mary something ones. Mary Elizabeth Masterson. Uh, yes. <laughs> Masterson, is that right? No. That's somebody no, else? Monster Ramo. Okay. She was also in uh, the King Arthur movie with um, Richard Gere and Sean Oh, yeah. Yeah, the sleeve still bears the stain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> again, I know lines that no one gives First a shit night. About. First night. First night, thank you. Yeah. The sleeve still bears the stain. How useful is that? Not at all in any conversation. <laughs> Guinevere that's your that's your King completely Arthur. out of the blue quotes that no yeah, one's ever gonna I, get like great thanks yeah. Tourette's it runs in the family and this is the version i get it's just dumb shit <laughs> that and repeating uh, being, nah. yeah Sorry. so ed ed harris um yeah. and uh not another not oh uh, uh zane um uh no bane michael bane mm. from terminator and aliens and sure. uh the abyss yeah, uh, yeah yeah and he always plays basically the same character except in this one he goes nuts <laughs> uh so i adore this movie um i watched it it was one of the movies that i watched with my dad when i was pretty young but old enough to get it and old enough to be into it, but it was dad's movie. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. the, the first rated R movie I ever watched was, I think, Die Hard. I watched it with my dad, and it was like this big deal because, ooh, it's a rated R movie. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so badass. I didn't say that when I was, like, whatever yeah. old. And then I think we watched Predator, which is pretty violent. Um, mm -hmm. But, again, it was my dad, and he likes Arnold. And then at some point, he's like, you know, this is a movie that's a little more science fiction. It's less action. It can be a little scary. But uh, what do you think? <laughs> so I watched it. And then I think I've probably watched it five times or more because I've introduced yeah. people to it. Faye's never seen it. Liz had never seen it. So I introduced Liz to it just recently. And yeah. then I'm like, I'll watch it again <laughs> for Faye. So I, there's a lot to say about this movie. Like, yeah. I think that. James Cameron may be one of the greatest filmmakers of the 20th century. Like, I think that if you stack his movies up against Spielberg, you mm. will find more consistent 
hits and quality. I'm not saying he makes Schindler's List. Like, it's not like life-changing, universe-changing, yeah. like, art. Um, although, I do think his stuff is perfect. But yeah. from an entertainment perspective, I mean, how do you get one dude who does Titanic and Avatar? Like, that's pretty impressive. So sure. on top of that, he has Terminator, Terminator 2, Aliens, uh, True Lies. Have you ever seen that one with Jamie Lee Curtis and oh, Arnold yeah, yeah. Schwarzenegger? Yeah. Such a that's stupid fun. but fun movie. Yes. Right. So Abyss is possibly my favorite one of his movies. I think it's the most deeply symbolic totally. of, of his movies. Um, so there's, there's the story, plot, and stuff, but I just kind of want to skip ahead and be like, listen, if you've seen the movie, uh, spoilers, uh, so there's a submarine that goes down, and there's a deep-sea oil drilling facility, and they have to go down to recover the nukes on this submarine, and they don't know why it went down, so they send these Navy SEALs down there, and they sort of commandeer the, the vessel, and then a, a deeper mystery unravels um, uh, because they find when they're out exploring the uh, the nuke that there are some creatures down here on the bottom of the ocean and they don't know if they're good or bad or what's going on and <sighs> okay so there's a couple of keys I think to interpreting the deeper symbolism so first of all the he breathes that that oxygen liquid at some right. point, right? And that is very intentionally pink. Mm. Because when you watch Ed Harris drop into that abyss in that, I believe that's one of the most poetically uh, captured um, archetypes for the journey into the depths of the unconscious, but also I would argue there's something in there about birth, mm. about birth trauma and healing this stuff because it looks like amniotic fluid. Like that's, right. it's so yeah. obviously he's like in the womb and he's going down. And then when you see the alien spacecraft and all this, it's all these curved lines and all these very certain shaped things and everything <laughs> Uh, it, it, so to me, okay, so there's another aspect to it that I think is really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. There is an, it's playing on a desire, a desire that we all have for there to be a higher power, I think. I think yeah. that the interesting thing about this is that it's, it's like for people who don't believe in angels, Here's a way that you can entertain the possibility that angels might be real. Except they're just aliens and they're on the bottom of the ocean. Because, uh, did you know there's a director's cut? Ooh, I have not seen it. So, uh, spoilers. In the director's cut, the story is, there is a pretty significant difference and it's almost exclusively at the end. The mm -hmm. end of the movie is that before, when, when Ed Harris gets down there, the aliens threatened to destroy the entire world. They have a 500-foot tidal wave that is, like, that they freeze in space as if it's about to crush all cities on the, on the planet. And they basically are like, 
you guys are awful. <laughs> um, and they show like what, like violence and war and the Holocaust and nukes and all this. And they're like, you're yeah. destroying the planet and it's affecting us. And we like, you, you can't do this. You're not good stewards. But Ed Harris saves the day because on his way down there, remember, he's like texting. <laughs> he's texting back because he can't talk with the stuff in his lungs. And yeah. he texts back and he says, knew this was a one way trip when I came down here, which was him saying, I'm coming down here to sacrifice myself for everybody else. And the aliens go, okay, there's good. There's in, hope, there's good. In you hope. humans. Yeah. And I, I, it, it, honestly, it's kind of clunky when you yeah. watch it. Yeah. It, it. You can see why James Cameron was like, I want to take it out. But I, I like it. I like it. It doesn't flow as well in the story, yeah. but I like that added component where they were like, we are the all powerful, like the, the higher power you're looking for, it's us. And you haven't, you, you failed, <laughs> which is very almost um, Lovecraftian in right. this like. Mm. Well, it's super biblical, like. Sure. We've been through this huge tidal wave. Of course, of course. Before, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and then one individual's pure heart saves everybody which again that goes back to the joseph campbell like ed harris is symbolic of the protagonist or he's the protagonist so he's the conscious mind that has to go through this evolution and there's this thing that shows up very clearly in the matrix too that is like it's the the individual love of the hero for the love interest whatever it is that gives him the will yeah. to do what he's supposed to do. And um, like in the Matrix, they say they talk about the iterations of the one. And they say that like all of your predecessors had a more generalized love of humanity. So mm -hmm. they're kind of referencing Jesus and Buddha and these types of predecessors. And he's like, right. but you, it's different. You seem to be focused on one individual, which is Trinity in the story. And then there's a concept in Joseph Campbell's philosophy that it's that focus on one mm -hmm. that then can expand out into your love of the rest of the world and That's... being willing to sacrifice yourself. And for, so for me, I always see that as symbolic of the, the conscious mind needs to fall in love with the unconscious mind. And that's the, the, the way where you get everything you're looking for outside, inside first. So, uh, I freaking love that movie. And that yeah. angel, like Rosetta Stone, was the key for me to get it, was to think about that as a desire for this higher power. Because feeling like there isn't one is uncomfortable. It feels like uh, we're the top of the fucking thing. Like there's nobody else. And so that movie's like um, wish gratification. Right. Right. We would all love it if this would happen. Not all of us, but <laughs> some people, some part of all of us would love it if somebody infinitely more advanced showed up and said, OK, well, we were going to destroy you, but it turns out we're not because you're good. So we're going to help you now. Well, and we we were like. We were crafted and and split apart and divided and you know, goo and then made parts of us in a thing that was more sophisticated than, than our beginning. Like our beginnings inside the womb are that structure yeah. too, where 
our entire cellular structure is based on something. Yeah. Beyond us, bigger than us. Yeah. That we're from. And symbolically, it's a. Ret- I think that that also overlaps with the womb stuff and going back, but also that time when we were all at, at that age, when there was a higher power. And um, I don't know if you've heard, have you looked into much about sleep paralysis? Do you know what that is? I've heard of it. Yeah. It's one of the interesting things about it is it's an explanation for alien abduction experiences that basically when, when you wake up in this dream state where you're asleep, but you're conscious enough to know that you're asleep, but you can't move. Yeah. Because there's a part of your brain that shuts off when you're dreaming. So you don't like run (laughs) in bed (laughs) while you're running in your dream. Yeah. So if you find yourself in that situation, for many people, the automatic unconscious reaction is absolute terror. Right. And that can actually trigger hallucinations in that moment. And some people, Stanislav Grof in particular, theorize that the reason why people hallucinate aliens, like coming and doing experiments on them... Um, and often related to their bathing suit area is because of diaper changing. Huh. That at some point we were all laying there powerless, looking up at these creatures with backlit, right? There's light behind them. So you just see kind of a silhouette and they've got big eyes and they're looking down (laughs) at you and they're talking about, uh, they're talking to other people about you. Yep. Right. It's a very happening to your butt. Yeah, exactly. And things are happening to your butt, right? So I don't it's have a language in- it's wow. a very like sound uh, theory on on what that could happen. I suppose there could be some of them that are real, <laughs> but I think that uh, it makes far more sense to me that it's that it's hypnotic hallucinations that are based on really deep old memories. Yeah, this is the first time I'm hearing it, and it's fascinating. Also confused about why I, I hadn't come up with that idea. <laughs> it totally seems like something I would have come up with. You know, probably not aliens. Probably preverbal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good God. Yeah, I uh, The Abyss was one of those movies when I was younger that would come on in HBO and I like wherever it was in the movie I would keep watching it. Although yes. I haven't in, you know, twenty five plus years, so I'm sort of remembering shapes. Pink. I remember pink. <laughs> I remember breathing underwater. Uh, but yeah, the rest of the bits I didn't quite remember. And there's definitely a, like, the the archetypes that you can map onto it are pretty straightforward. You've got protagonist and love interest, conscious, unconscious mind, and then you've got the Navy SEAL who goes nuts, who's the judgmental, critical mind, but also he's afraid and traumatized. So he's like, I see something unknown, and it's a threat, and I must destroy it. And it's the kind of of out-of-control yang aspect that we have to learn to overcome that fear to embrace this magical creature that uh, you find through the love of the unconscious. You find your way into this higher power. I mean, that that's the thing is like you and I can talk about God. Sure. And know that lots of other people mean something different, like bearded man in the sky with a robe and sandals. But you and I, when we talk about that word, like I think there's something there. I just think the thing is so different <laughs> than what most people think of when they use that word that I don't yeah. like to use that word to describe it. Sure. Um, but I think there is something there. Now, I would argue... 
I don't know if that thing is outside of us or inside of us. Like, I don't know yeah. if that's uh, just the a deep part of the collective unconscious or, or whatever. But my point is, there's something we're seeking. There's a connection we're seeking to something magical and beautiful. And, and the angel archetype and uh, fairies and uh, the same kind of thing, they, they looked like that too, the creatures on the bottom. It's just such a clever idea to take these things and, and weave them into this story that's so fucking believable. That's yeah. what I love about it, even though the breathing oxygen is not a real thing, or breathing oxygen water is not a real thing. But, yeah. um, God, I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the others that I loved at the time was Flatliners. Oh, yeah. Which, I don't know if you've seen. Yes. Oh, like, like uh, God, Flatliners is super cool. The, the afterlife, just, you know process of studying the afterlife all these medical students or they made a sequel reboot and i heard it was horrible (laughs) yeah gosh do you need so it's julia roberts Kiefer sutherland who else is in that kevin bacon uh oliver platt oh my god yeah it was nuts i i I think there was somebody else too. It was almost everybody was like a big deal mm-hmm. or, or became a big deal. Um, you know, there's another movie just totally off subject. Speaking of movies I watched with my dad. Yeah. Um, there's this movie. Uh, I want to say it's got William Hurt in the okay. main role. He plays a scientist and they, they figure out a way. Uh, it might be altered states. Hmm. Is that another one of those flatliners? Uh, interesting sci-fi psychological thing. So it's basically this guy comes up with this ability to record experiences and then play them back. So you can put a helmet on and you can record the entire experience of a thing and then play it back. And they record it on magnetic tape. (laughs) (laughs) Which even at the time, somebody had to be like, hey, that's not how that works. (laughs) But whatever. Uh, If you can ignore that, the concept is really cool that you could like record someone going on a roller coaster and then play it back. And it's not virtual reality. I mean, it it is in that sense, but it's you're capturing all the sensation experiences. I don't. Oh, oh, oh. So the punchline of the movie, I won't spoil it, but the punchline of the movie is somebody dies while wearing it. Ooh. And so the end of the movie is William Hurt is like, I'm going to put it on and see what happened. What was the experience that he went through? I'm going to play it back. But my favorite part about the movie okay. is this part where <laughs> this guy like stole the machine and they found him in his basement. And he'd been there for three days because he put the tape on loop after someone had fucked <laughs> And recorded the experience, and then he put the tape on loop, and then just got stuck there, like, in the experience for, like, two or three days. I'm probably remembering this wrong, because I was pretty <laughs> young when I saw it. But I that that really stood out to me, that I was like, that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're probably there-ish with VR, because... It's getting Most closer. No, but but the thing is the physical form. experience too. Like like uh, um yeah, my uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Days. What? 3 days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he got stuck. He couldn't get out of it. That was the thing. <laughs> oh. Oh. 
that could be really traumatizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's a point when you want it to be over. <laughs> also, is there chafing? If it's not, is it, it's happening but not happening? Do you feel the pain of chafing without actually chafing? No, I imagine you feel exactly whatever the person who you recorded it was feeling, regardless oh. of whatever's happening to your own body. I guess that's better. Yeah. Ish. So then it would just continue to be the same amount of pleasurable. But would it? Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting point. I mean, I don't think you can do this <laughs> because <laughs> experience is is generated like in, in the, the moment. Yeah. And I don't know if like I'm open to the idea that we might be able to copy brains at some point. Like you might be able to download an entire consciousness because there's no there's no physics reason why that shouldn't be possible. We just don't remotely have the technology to do it. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how easy it would ever be to actually, like, cause the brain to stop experiencing what you're experiencing now and experience a completely fabricated, totally sensational experience. Yeah. Even I'm if just, you could record it, I don't know how you'd play it back. I'm just really concerned for the endocrine system. In that situation. Mm, yeah. Like, uh, on play through number nine. Like, yeah. when does a person, like, if, if it can stimulate all of your processes to, like, respond as though it's really happening, then you're firing a whole, lots of chemistry all over the place. And then where's yeah. the recovery that happens? Well, not that we need to go into this in detail, but I will say that erotic hypnosis is something I've explored quite extensively. Sure. And there are a number of parallels between what we're describing here and what you can actually do with somebody mm -hmm. who's like fully in that state. Um, but the difference is that their unconscious mind is cooperating. Like, in other words, you can't do it to them if they don't want it to happen. Right, yes. <laughs> so... Yeah. That would be, that is different. And even if you say like, okay, have an orgasm, now have 10 more over the course of the next 10 minutes, they might be able to, but they won't do it if there's a problem. Like if the house was on fire, the, your unconscious would be like, okay, stop. <laughs> <laughs> fire. <Right>. Get it. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. This was tangential. Sure. Yeah. But fun. I don't know how to segue into what I was watching. <laughs> See, it works because it's like sciencey, and it starts with like we were talking comic booksy stuff. So I watched, watched the Watchmen or Watchmen, the TV series that. Who knows if they meant to do it as a limited series or if they meant to maybe have a second season and then the the showrunner was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. So I'm not sure because uh, I I like looked up stuff afterwards. So there's a TV show from HBO. Yeah. And then there's also I heard good things. Watchmen the movie. Right. Different. Which <laughs> I am having challenges with. Like I have lots of pausing, lots of like, oh, that one's fascinating, weird, dark, and kind of hard to watch. Read the book. Uh, maybe. Like but the deal is that like he tried to do a shot for shot remake of the graphic novel on really? in the movie. And that is not possible. Because the point, the medium is different. And yep. I'm not even saying I disliked it, but I think I only liked it because I've already read the book. And so yeah. it was like, familiar, familiar, familiar. Yeah. And 
like it was an homage, if you will, to the book. But the book is a masterpiece. It's sure. really amazing. Well, the HBO show is phenomenal. I I got really excited because you know it was free for Juneteenth. Yeah, I, I heard started about watching that. it there, and then I started watching it at a different place later after it wasn't free. Um, and damn it, I. I'm blanking out on the lead character's name, who I normally know. The, um, shit. She was supposed to be in Raising Dion on Netflix, and I was really excited for it. I should look it up. Regina something? Regina? What's your last name? I don't know. I mean, I only knew that Jeremy Irons was in it, and yeah. but I haven't seen it, so I don't know anybody else. It is quirky. It is beautiful. The world they build is f- fairly complete, yeah. In such a beautiful way. Like when I got done watching this and for context of my own life, I've been dedicating a lot of time to watching indie flicks in the last month or so because I've had some ideas of I have three different movie ideas that I could actually well, one of them I could write, but I probably won't. And the other two I could write and I don't know. I just wanted to get my brain around, okay, what's possible in indie films? And so I was like, okay. And I was also sort of mad to have asked the question, if I were to write a movie, what would it be? And then discover, oh, actually, that's a fucking good idea. I didn't need another good idea. Sweet. I have 70 projects that I'm doing right now, and writing a movie Ugh. is not on the list, but now it's on Hi. the list. Great. So, yeah. So I was like, sweet. I've got these two movies. Okay, maybe I'll figure out how to write them. So I was feeling good about myself and like I could do a movie and these are even like I'm watching indie flicks and they're good indie flicks they're simple they're delightful rock on watch Watchmen and I was at the end of it I just felt like I should just give up like it was like so good and so perfect I know that feeling so well I was just like yeah like it's not it took me a while i was texting a friend because i was just sharing this feeling like oh my god a bit like like and he was like but your your idea is good and i'm like yeah i mean i know i can make a i i know it's i'm capable of making like an indie good deliverable good movie but fuck that was just good it was like perfection like Hmm. soundtrack visuals acting all of it was just so tightly, perfectly done. Wow. And then I realized, it helped that I did some research and found out that he, the showrunner, is not doing another season. And one of the things that he said that shifted my perspective was that a lot of the ideas for that show did not come from him. They came from, like, talking with the actors and, and, and soliciting feedback. And a lot of what was great was the wealth of all of the people working yeah, on the collaboration. show from very different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, right. I can't make a fucking movie like that. And you know right. what? No one else can. Nobody can. Nobody can make a fucking movie that's But that some perfect. people can put together teams yes. that can. And I think, yeah. like, just go back to James Cameron and, and Peter Jackson with the Lord of the Rings. And that's what I think a great filmmaker is, is somebody not necessarily who even 
has the vision, but can bring the people together and create an environment where the collective can make something bigger and better than the sum of its parts. Right. Which is interesting because I think if we take that and extrapolate it as a bigger, like a movie making process, should someone go behind the scenes? And at this point, Maybe you could. Maybe what Hollywood and television could be doing very safely right now was letting us in on Zoom table reads and behind the scenes process of letting us in on any particular piece of beautiful something that changes the world is not done by one person. Yeah. And that's why I listen to a lot of podcasts about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because it's helpful for me to be like, I, I didn't even know what sort of thing happened in a writer's room until I, I started listening to like, the Kevin Smith podcast where he has um, Mark Bernardin come on. Mark mm -hmm. is a writer. Um, he used to work for like Entertainment Weekly and other things like that. But then he was like kept working at putting scripts out there and stuff. And now he's a like staff writer for a bunch of different TV shows. And he gets you kind of got to see him come up. Yeah. And, and achieve that success. But then the two of them just talk about how the sausage is made all the time. And yeah. it, it does weirdly increase my enjoyment of movies. That's, yeah. that's, I don't think I ever really thought about that before, but I do think that part of the reason I like movies so much is I like knowing how they did that and then being like, oh, oh cool. Like yeah. it sucks me in more. Well, and the whole thing that I'm thinking about right now as an entrepreneur and somebody who's visionary and creative is the bullshit story of the self-made man and how fucking toxic that is to everyone. No one has ever been or mm. will ever be self-made. Yeah. And, and how useful and beautiful it would be to give more examples about what teams do, how that works, how people can work together to create something wonderful. I mean, you look at the end of these movies we love and you just like three to five songs length of amazing people around the world that put together some of the things that we're like, Oh my God, go Robert Downey Jr. Right. They're like, yeah. that's a whole team. But, but who is out there talking about mm. what it means to pull off a creative vision, something that, that moves people. We've lost liner notes cause no one buys CDs, but an album takes several facilities and a bunch of musicians and produce like, yeah, most of the things that we love in this world that seem like they're created by one person are done by a team. And I want to pull back the curtain and, and really go into talking about like, fuck, we can do things together, especially since yeah. we're yelling at each other and arguing so yeah. much. Well, days. and it's, I like that you expanded it beyond art and movies um, to everything. I mean, no one is self-made. You were literally made inside another person by that person yeah no one is self-made and, and then and then what happened after that did you just get born and then you immediately no no one helped me <laughs> went, like, billions billions yeah. i'm great <laughs> yeah and and i think it's a super damaging myth yeah yeah was, yeah okay well good way to wrap it up thanks nice little bow on there i like it uh, well, for, for neither of us having watched too much stuff, I think that was pretty good. Enjoyed it. Thanks uh, for being here. Then let's uh, see you next week. Absolutely. Thanks for coming with us on this Later, adventure. folks. Going TV deeply.
<laughs> we'll see you Bye. next time. Bye.